the second week of our series called Why? Last week we talked about why did, why did Jesus have to die on the cross. It's something we struggle with sometimes because I don't think we understand really the gravity of sin, what it does, how much it separates us from God. And we also struggle with the reality that we need a propitiation, a big word, one of those big words we discussed last week, this, this notion that we need something that not only makes things okay or erases the debt, but renews and rekindles the entire way that God sees us and we're able to see Him. It changes His attitude. He never stops loving you. He loves you no matter what, but loving you and being your friend are not the same thing. And so the propitiation for our sins is that. It provides that. This week, we're going to talk about another question, why, that shows up often, and that is this. Uh, why do I need to love the church? It's a question I hear more often than I think any of us used to hear. We often hear people say things, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I love the Lord, but I don't, this organized religion thing, I'm not into that. And so, it's a question I think we need to answer because I think loving Jesus means loving his church too. I really do believe that. But it's, it's and I really do think that it's one of the things that Satan has done very well is to convince us that we can be connected with God without being connected with other believers. I think he's done a great job of figuring out ways to isolate us and think that it's just about this, which it very much is, but it's also about this for lots of reasons, and we will get into that. But first, let's look at some numbers. Let's look at the numbers. Uh, first, the new regular. If I were to ask you what it means to be a regular attender of church, what would you say? Every Sunday? Some of us would say every Sunday. Guess what? Do you know what regular means to most people outside of the church? Easter and Christmas. Easter and Christmas. I say it all the time. I grew up as a priester. I went to church on Christmas and Easter. That was, that was our regular attendance. But for the most part, um, the new regular, regular part or involvement and attendance in a church service is about once a month. So if you poll somebody, if you're taking a poll and you say, are you a regular attender of church? They're not asking or thinking about this as an every week or because tw- we all, all know if went back in the day, it wasn't just once a week, was it? Every day. Uh-huh. But, it, but the notion would be it's once a month. That's the new regular. The next thing we need to talk about is the 40% lie. There is a uh, Gallup poll that indicates that 40% of people who, uh, when surveyed, 40% of Americans go to church on a regular basis. 40% of Americans. Now, remember two things. One, my regular and their regular are not the same thing, okay? And the other problem is something we're going to talk about in a second called the halo effect. But the real number is about 17%. Do you know what that is compared to what it was 25 years ago? It's less than half of what it was 25 years ago. Okay, so it's the 17%. That's the reality. Now, why? what's the difference between the Gallup poll and the reality poll? It's something called the halo effect. It's this notion. It's this notion that when a pollster calls you or have you fill out a survey somewhere, that you are more likely to give them the answer that is socially acceptable than to give them the truth, okay? So what happens is when, when, when polls are taken like this sometimes, what happens is you get the socially acceptable answer is yes, I go to church. The truth is I don't. The socially acceptable answer is that I don't, I don't get drunk on a regular basis, but the truth is... I do. We report what we think want pe- we want people to hear. 
or what they want to hear, right? You ever do that? Do you ever tell people what they want to hear? One of, the, one of the teens this morning who shall remain, remain nameless, Josh, says he's really good about telling people what they want to hear, which he and I are going to have a discussion about that later. That's my son, by the way. So, hi, Josh. <laughs> so, but, but we, we do that. Human beings all do that. We tell people what we think they want to hear rather than what maybe they need to hear, or and sometimes what the truth is. Have you ever told a little white lie to save somebody's feelings? Then you've probably done that. It's the halo effect. And that's a side note on a lesson. I think we should consider our words and remember that if we tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear, we're not always doing them a favor, Right? So what are the reasons that people give for not wanting to be a part of a church? The first is this, they're hurt by the church. The church hurt me. And this is tough because some of these are very real stories. They are very real stories of people treating them poorly or judging them or, Lord forbid, something horrible happening within the body of Christ. Maybe a church leader doing something that they shouldn't have done. And I've certainly, in working with churches that were in trouble, have have seen that have seen church leaders do and say things that, in retrospect, you have to go, how is this representing God in any way, shape, or form? And those are very genuine hurts and very genuine pains. I would say, though, we should be careful with those because that's, that's really a, a blanket judgment. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit like saying, you know, maybe, maybe I got attacked as a child by a bunch of people who were Hispanic, so now I hate all Hispanics, right? But that doesn't mean the pain doesn't exist. It does. It's very real. It's very genuine. And so as we look through this, I think we need to own the notion that sometimes the church is its own worst enemy. We are hard to love, okay? Second one reason people give is I'm too busy, Sunday is my only day when I get to sleep in. I've got work. I've got school. I've got family. I've got friends. I've got this. I've got that. I would say, yeah, that's a genuine challenge on a number of levels. I would always also say that if we really stop to think about it, there are things that we could remove from our life to make time for God. Right? Those, those are very real things. But, but if you're hurt by the church, there's not really an emphasis on that. You really don't feel the, the drive to do that. Another reason that people give is they're physically unable, and I would say this is absolutely the most valid one of the bunch. There are people that are sick, that are unable to get out. We have some people who are dear, longtime members here that are unable to get here, Right? And I would say then our emphasis, our responsibility is to go minister to them. But those are genuine reasons not to come on a regular basis. The last one is I don't believe in organized religion. John Piper says this is not a biblical conviction but an American conviction. And I would say it's true. I would say that we absolutely want to decide for ourselves what we should think, feel, and do. I mean, don't you like to do that? Don't you like to be able to decide completely? Do you like it when somebody tells you you have to do something? When I was, in, when I was graduating high school, I was getting ready to take uh, uh, an AP calculus exam, and my teacher told me not to take it. You know why she told me not to take it? Because I would mess up her class average. That she told me not to take it because I would mess up her class average. Can I tell you what I just, what I did? I took it anyways. Not because I had any desire to take it because I didn't, but I, I spent my money on it because I, I, I was going to take it cause, just because she told me no. Well, it's not just a typical teenager. It's a typical adult as well. Don't tell me I can't, right? And sometimes the very nature 
of, of being part of a body of believers means somebody is going to come along who loves you, that tells you that something you're doing is a bad idea, and nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody. I don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. Nobody wants to hear this is a bad idea. Unfortunately, as I told the teens this morning, sometimes we all need to be told that something we're doing is a bad idea. The question is whether or not we're willing to listen to it. And so when somebody says, I don't like organized religion, what's un- unorganized religion? <laughs> Just saying. So let me be clear about a couple of things before I keep moving here. First, um, loving Jesus means loving his church. I really do believe that. I just want to say that right out of the gate. Loving Jesus means loving his church. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and give himself to her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present to the church himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything else like that, but holy and blameless. Jesus made this correlation, or Paul did this correlation between what it means to love the most important people in your life, should be the most important person in your life, your wife, husbands, she should be the most important person in your life, wives, hit him on the knee real quick and remind him. But he makes, or just kiss her on the cheek, that's beautiful too, all right, good job, Paul, all right. So he makes this correlation that this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a critical thing. And I must tell you, on some level, when somebody says to me, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, it's a bit like saying, I love you, but I hate your wife. Ouch. I'm not easy to offend. It takes a lot to offend me, but I can tell you one quick way to offend me. Tell me you hate my wife. If you want to offend me, that's a quick way to get there because she is the most important human being on this planet to me. She's not more important than God. Sorry. She'll tell me I'm not either, so we're good. But that's part of what it means to to love Jesus means loving his church, loving his bride. The second part of the problem, I think, is a misunderstanding of what church is. So we're going to go through that real quick. What is church? The first word we're going to look at is the word ecclesia, right? We've talked about this word before. It is a called out people, a gathering of people, a people made holy. It is not a place, but a people. Matthew 16, 18 says, and Jesus says to Peter, he says, and also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He's not talking about a physical rock. He's talking about a person upon which he's building his church, and the gates of hell will not be able to overpower it. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, we see every day they devoted themselves to a meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. So look, even in this text, they're meeting sometimes in the temple, sometimes they're going from house to house. The place is not nearly as important. He says they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's where these words show up. It says, and every day the Lord added to their ecclesia, their number, those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 8, Saul says, Saul agreed, or Paul says, God, Saul agreed to putting him to death. That would mean the people of the church. Stephen, in fact. And on that day, severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Why did I put that in there? Because it it does not say, and then the church was no more, and they tore down the building. It says the church was scattered. The people of God were scattered. They didn't stop becoming the church. They were just scattered. So we get this, this picture here that I think is sometimes counter to the way we look at church. I asked a bunch of teenagers this morning, why do your parents drag you to church on Sunday mornings? I'm not even going to tell you what their answers were. Some of them were hilarious. <laughs> but deep down inside, we discuss the idea that, that, that it's not about 
a certain time and a certain place. What it is about is the community. And if, you, if you're coming here on Sunday morning and your sole goal to, for coming here on Sunday morning is to listen to Rob talk and to, and to hear a couple of songs, guess what? You're missing out on a big chunk of what it means to be the church. The church is not a place. It's not a time of day. It is the community of God meeting together wherever they choose to gather. There are lots of other names for the church in the Bible. There's the bride of Christ, which we just talked about. There's the bride of the lamb, the body of Christ, the, first, the church of the firstborn, the church of God, the church of the Gentiles, the city of the living God, the daughter of Zion, the household of God, God's building, God's field, the flock of God, the temple of God, the letter of Christ, and the people of God. That's a lot of different names, right? I wouldn't want to scribe all that on the top, on the front door of a building, would you? It'd be a project and a half. So when we talk about the church, what there are, I also want to delineate the difference between the big C and the little C. The big C church. What is the big C church? All believers. All believers are the big C church. There are brothers and sisters that are meeting down the road. There are brothers and sisters that are meeting around the corner. There are brothers and sisters that are meeting in different towns and different cities and different countries of the world right now. That's the big C church. There's also the little C church. What's the little C church? Us! It's a bit like your family. You have a large family. Heather's family every year has a Thanksgiving reunion. There's 100 people there. First time she took me to that. Before we were even married, we've been dating like two months. She took me to that, and I'm like, what am I getting into? But it's 100, 150 people there. That's the big F family. The little F family is, was her parents and her brother, maybe her nephews. The little C church is us. It's this group of people that are sitting here together in community, being the body of Christ together. And can I just tell you, it has far less to do with the building we're in and far more to do with the people who are here. Right? And I, I want us to understand that because I think in some ways when people say they don't like organized religion, we're our own worst enemy because we've relegated the notion of what church is to Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. to listen to a sermon and then go back about our lives. That is not the church that Jesus built. So moving forward, when I talk about why we should love the church, I want you to understand that's the definition of church. It is not this place. It is the people in it. Okay? It is not an institution. It is an identity. It is who you are as a member of the body of Christ. Can I also ask you this question? If uh, you do not, do not want to be, if part of your goal here isn't to, to be with people of God and get to know the people of God and work with people of God and be in community and people of God with the people of God and to build your friendships and your relationships here, um, how's heaven going to feel to you? Because you're going to be surrounded by all these people. And the building will not be here. <laughs> but the church will be. So, let's talk about this. Today's big question, why do I need to love the church? Well, first, this. It's the bride of Christ, right? We talked about that. I love my husband, or I love you, and I hate your wife. That's a bad idea. The second one is this, Jesus made gathering a priority. Jesus made it a priority. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as usual, or as he always did, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. He regularly gathered with people. And can I just tell you, when Jesus is standing up in the synagogue to discuss the things of God and to read, does everybody there love him? He's not around all of his favorite people. He is around a group of people all pursuing God together. Some love him deeply and they're very close to him. Some understand where he's headed. Some are frustrated by him. And sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that the church should just be those people that I like. 
I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm an introvert. And so there are a whole lot of people that I sometimes don't like. Does that make sense? Don't take that personally. I love each and every one of you. Except Gregory. I'm kidding, Gregory! Oh, come on, you should know me well enough to know I'm playing with you. Uh, All right. So he also, on the Sermon on the Mount, he gathered thousands of people all together. Do you think that he was close to each and every one of them? No. I think some probably showed up because they were deeply connected to him. Some showed up for the food, right? We used to work with, I used to work with a gentleman who actually will be here in a couple of weeks with his family, which I'm so blessed by. His name's Tong. And he will tell you openly the reason he started to come to church the cookies, because he was a kid. It's the whole reason. He's like, I'm coming to church every Sunday because of cookies. Well, there were people sitting in the Sermon on the Mount that came with Jesus to see Jesus because of fish and bread. They came for the food. In Matthew 26, though, we also see that Jesus gathered his people closely around him his church, his people, his community in his deepest, darkest moments, in his need, his time of pain. The church is meant to be a group of people all pursuing God together. And one of both the beauties and the greatest challenges is that we are not all in the same place at the same time and seeing the same things. What we are connected by is the Lord. There's also the, the example of the early believers. We just read in Acts chapter 2, they did the same. They made it a habit of meeting, not just once a week, but how often? Every day. In their time of challenge and difficulty, because remember what they're doing here. You're talking about maybe 100, 120 people who are launching a movement into the world, who are telling the whole world of the message that they need to hear, and they are spreading the gospel. And the fact is the walls are closing in on around them. Nobody's their friend to start with, right? And they are meeting together because they need each other. And sometimes I think our lives are so comfortable we don't feel the need for each other. And so we don't draw together. And yet the example that they set was that they needed one another. It's, it's interesting to me how many people I encounter that, that um, would say, I don't, we don't have, want to have anything to do with church, but when things get rough, all of a sudden, right, they realize they need it. Can I just tell you... <laughs> If you already have a relationship with God and if you already have a budding relationship with each other that's growing and strong, you never find yourself in that pickle where you suddenly go, who do I turn to when I'm in trouble? You know who to turn to when you're in trouble, right? Because he's already there and because we're already here. Make sense? So there was also a clear warning in the scriptures, this is yet another reason not to stop meeting, right? Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, and says, Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and the good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. They've already started. The church has been around less than 100 years, and they've already started. But encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's scriptural reason. There's, there's Jesus's uh, there's Jesus' example that he set. There's his teachings that he, he placed upon his people. There's the expectations. There's the encouragement. But let's be frank, that, that those are maybe reasons why we should be the church, why we should love one another, why we should love this institution or this movement that he created, this identity of what it means to be the people of God. We should, but at the end of the day, just because we should do something doesn't mean we will. And so I'm going to own that and say, then there, I'm going to give you some reasons why, for my own good and your own good, you should love the church. Okay? 
The first one is this, the solo problem. Proverbs 18, 1 through 2 says, One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. Have you ever met most people who say, I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion? Most of them are very angry. They're very angry. Sometimes they're angry because they're hurt. Sometimes they're angry because they just don't want to be told what to do. Again, I don't like being told what to do. And if somebody's infringing upon me or the flag that says, don't tread on me, if somebody's treading on me, I get angry. But most of it, have you ever noticed that if you're isolated like that, even if it has nothing to do with faith, you tend to be an angrier person. And it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You isolate yourself because you're angry, but because you're isolated, you get more angry. I think all of our parents, all the parents in here, when, when, you, when your teenager starts locking themselves in their bedroom, you get worried about them. You get worried about them because they're isolating their, themselves. Part of it's because they're isolating themselves from you and you're their mom or dad and you love them very much and you want to see them. But part of it is a genuine concern for the fact that life is meant to be lived with one another. Life is at its best in community. And when you isolate yourself, you, you turn into somebody you really didn't want to be in the first place. You get angry. You get bitter. Your mind starts moving a little too fast. You lose sight of the things that really matter. And I really worry, this is not a condemnation, it's a concern for someone who says, I don't need to be part of an organized church, I can listen to a video sermon online, and it's just about this. I'm concerned for you. It's not angry, that's not bitter, that's not I'm shaking my finger and yelling at you, that's I'm really concerned for you. I'm concerned that you are finding yourself in a pickle, that you are lying to yourself about what you need. Can I also tell you that it's important to listen and consider the perspectives of others in the development of your faith because in case you haven't figured out, you don't have it all right. I certainly don't have it all right. <laughs> if, you're, if you came here expecting Rob to have all the answers, <laughs> you're, you're in trouble. I don't. Perfect, I'm not. I continue to go to school, and we're going to celebrate some ordination stuff here in a few weeks because I, I was doing some classes, and I'm going to go back to graduate school in the fall. I go because I'm better when I'm growing. I'm better when someone is pushing me and asking me questions. I am better when I'm forced to wrestle with the things that I need to wrestle with. I'm better with you. Now, whether or not you're any better with me, I don't know, but... We're better together, right? We are better together, period. It's because we are one body, as the Scripture says, but many parts. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says, Now we have many parts, now as we have many parts in one body, and all parts do not have the same function in the same way. We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhorting. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. And show mercy with cheerfulness. This next person up here, I'll, I'll give you a nickel for anybody who can tell me who this is. Who said that? Okay, you did. I thought for sure it would be Keith, but that's Okay. This is Lex Luger. He was a professional wrestler. Do you know what his nickname was? Who said it? The Total Package. His nickname was The Total Package, Lex Luger. Pretty cool moniker, right? I think it's pretty cool. But it was, it was the notion that he was, he was perfectly built and super intelligent and very capable and just amazing. He was, he was the total package. He had it all. And for a while, this guy felt like he did have it all. 
But can I just tell you who the real Lex Luger is? The real Lex Luger got addicted to drugs. The real Lex Luger, his wife, died in his arms, or his girlfriend died in his arms. The real Lex Luger is the truth is he had a spinal stroke in 2007. You want to show that next picture? He's in a wheelchair. He said, I was trying to be 27 at age 47, but God had to get rid of my vanity, he said. I had trouble letting go of this old Lex. My human fleshly nature did not want to let go of what had come to be billed as the total package. And I guess God had to help me get rid of the last remnant of my vanity and pride. We are really good at convincing ourselves that we are the total package, that we've got it all together. We've got all the parts. We've got all the pieces. Me, me in and of myself, I have everything I need to make it in this world. But the reality is I don't. And neither did he. And neither do we. We need each other. And, and this text in Romans tells us this. It says, if you really want, God gives great gifts that we all need. These aren't just gifts that are nice to have if you get them. They're gifts if, that we need. It says prophecy. You know, prophecy is identifying where God is working where God is working here and now and in you. Prophets are those people that are willing to speak truth and be courageous enough to speak truth into your life, whether it's what you want to hear or not. Again, I need that. I don't know about you, but I want to know where God is working. Do you want to know where God is working? I hear often, I can't see God, I can't feel God, I'm not around God. Well, maybe it's because God wants to work in you through you or through somebody else to speak truth into your life. And if you're isolated, if you're not part of a community of believers, it's no wonder you can't hear the voice of God. Because He has given some that gift. But you have to be willing to be a part of it to listen for it. It says He's also given the gift of serving these skills and these abilities and these strengths. Two of our Toms, Tom Losey and Tom Beatty and my son Josh yesterday went and cleared out a tree from um, Pat Rob's yard that had fallen down. That's it's something she could not have done alone. Right, Pat? Yeah. She could not have done that alone. She needed people to do that. And she came to the church last week and said, I have this problem. And guess what God did? God brought help. Because she made it known that she needed help. How often do we not take advantage of the other skills and abilities of the members of the body of this church because we don't want to ask for help or we're too afraid to ask for help or we're too prideful to ask for help? We have a couple of people in this church that are miracle workers with cars. If you need somebody who's incredible with cars, there's somebody here who could help you. But are you willing to ask? Are you willing to let them use the gift that God has given them to serve you? And are you willing to give the gifts that God has given you to serve them? We are better together. In case you haven't noticed, I am not built like Lex Luger. If I need to lift something super heavy, it probably isn't happening. I need some help. Whether it's a spiritual problem or a physical problem, there are times when we all need help. And God has provided the body of Christ to serve one another in those strengths and gifts and abilities. Teaching, it says, is one of those gifts. I love teachers because teachers do an amazing job of making, taking something super complicated and making it simple making it possible for us to just see it and hear it and grasp it and understand it. So if you're a teacher in here, I love you for that. I hope that's one of my gifts. I think it is. All the surveys say it is. But <laughs> the surveys. But that is the goal of a teacher. I don't know about you, but I need to be taught. There are calculus. We talked about it earlier. I passed that test, by the way. 
But that's a whole other discussion. But it, math is hard for me. I have to work at it. I need people who can make things very simple for me in math or I'm spinning my wheels. I need that. Is there a math in your life? How many of you open up the hood of a car and look underneath and go, something's wrong. I don't know what. Right? That's a funny smell, right? You need somebody who can teach you how to do those things or who can help you do it for you. That's, that's a gift from God. Don't cut yourself off from that by not being a part of his church, by not being a part of the body of Christ, one body, many parts, different gifts. Some have the gift of giving. The reality is that some of us have more wealth than others, financial wealth. What a blessing it is every time somebody is in need in this church, every time and that need comes forward, the body of Christ here figures it out. And so often I see people floundering because they're just not willing to, to tap into that, to help one another, because sometimes we all need help financially. We do. There's the gift of leading. Leading is helping others make the most of the gifts that God has given them. There are some that, are, that have that gift, that have that skill set to lead, to help others become everything God wants them to be. That is, that is our charge as leaders, is to do those things. It's not to, to lord over people or to shake our finger or to yell at them. It's about helping them. It's about helping them become what God wants them to be. And that gift is not a gift that everybody has. And, and not in every field. Look, there are some things I can do well, but I've got no business teaching anybody how to do, and I've got no business leading anybody because I'm just barely trying to do it myself. I can do it, but that's all I got. They are different skill sets. And the truth is, if the leader's got nobody with skill sets, then the leader's just out taking a walk. He's not doing anything, right? Leaders need people with abilities. And sometimes people with abilities need leaders. We need each other. Even this, even diligence, mercy, and cheerfulness are gifts from God. I don't know about you, but I love people who are cheerful. They light up my life the minute I walk into a room. And if they are smiling and loving life and cheerful, they can drag me out of a bad attitude real quick. Those people are a blessing to me. And if you're not communing with the people of God, you miss out on, on God providing you with a way to, to turn, turn that frown upside down. I know it's cheesy, but it's true. If you're isolating yourself, you are missing out on the cheerfulness that some people have a gift for. If you've been around this body for a while, who in this body has a gift for cheerfulness? Who? The Clarks? Absolutely. The Clarks have a gift for cheerfulness. And if you've never hung out with the Clarks, <laughs> you're missing out. Okay. The Clarks have a gift for it. Bonnie says Jim Staley has a gift for cheerfulness. I would agree the same, right? Something about him. He is always laughing, always having fun, always filled with joy, even when he does have a pain in the butt or he's being a pain in the butt, right? Yeah, that's, a, that's another story. So the point would be that there are people with gifts of cheerfulness. There are people with gifts of mercy. There are people with gifts of diligence, that will follow through no matter what. Tell me that's not a gift. That is a gift. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but if it's a job that I really do not want to do, I need somebody who's going to be diligent. I have that person. She works in the office. I'm not going to say her name because it'll just embarrass her. But I tell people all the time that this person is a gift to me. 
because I need somebody who's going to stay diligent and follow through and make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and the things get done. That is a gift I do not have access to if I am not part of a body of believers with that skill. So why should you love the church? Two reasons. One, because Jesus loved the church, and that should be enough. The second is this. The church wants to love you back. And you have so much to gain by being willing to be loved by the church and to use your love with others in the church. We are meant to be a family. We are stronger together. And when somebody says to you, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't want to be a part of a church. Church is bad. Own the fact that church has made some mistakes. It has. Own the fact that we're all broken people trying to pursue God together. But don't lose sight of the fact that the greatest gift the church has is each other. People working together, pursuing God, strengthening one another, showing one another what love really can be. That's why you have to love the church. That's why. Thanks. We close all of our services with a time we call praise or prayer time. And, and what we're going to do during this time is we are going to read off some public prayers while we hear some music in the background that Peg is going to play. We've, we're going to read off some public prayers. I would love for everybody to stand. Um, if anybody has, an, has a need to come forward to be prayed for, to, uh, yes, to confess a challenge, but just to be asked Ask for prayer. Ask for somebody to pray over you for a challenge you're going through. I would encourage you during this time to do that. It can stay private or be made public. It's up to you, totally up to you. But I'm going to read off some public prayer concerns as we do that. The first is this. Uh, Rod Thomas used to be the pastor here many years ago. Um, had a heart attack last week while baptizing somebody. We would pray for him and for his family. He served this congregation with love and care for a number of years and other congregations as well. And we would pray for uh, healing to occur there. One of our own, Bobby, uh, has second-degree sunburn on her leg. Uh, she wasn't going to tell anybody, but her daughter felt like she needed to. Good job, Madeline. So please pray for healing there. Holly Morris has asked for prayers for her friend Dee, uh, who was in the hospital this week, who was home. She's also asked us, as she always does, to pray for soldiers serving throughout the world on our behalf. Bonnie Staley praises God that there was a, a scare with her, her daughter this week. She had a health scare, thought she had a tumor, but it looks like that is not going to be an issue. Praise God for that. Uh, we've also asked for prayer for some of the mass shooting victims in Virginia. If you haven't seen that article, please look it up. Um, lift those families up in prayer. Again, this, one, this is when we need each other. I'd like to offer a prayer for uh, Barbara and Kevin Easton. If you've been on our prayer chain, you've heard the calls this week. Uh, Barbara is Rita Hellmandaller's aunt. She is currently in Riverside Hospital. She is unresponsive. We don't know if or how long she will continue to be here physically. I will say this, though. On Tuesday of this week, she made a commitment to the Lord. Okay? So praise God for that. Uh, praise God that we know where she's headed. Okay? Um, and I hope that I would, we would pray for her and, and, and pray for Kevin. That's her son. And they are very, very close very close and it's going to be hard for him so I would pray that we would have the strength and the ability to come around him uh, and let him know what love really does look like what the church is right I would also pray for our farm fields I've seen some people out tilling and planting but there are a whole lot that are still unable to do that um, and farming in this church in particular is really the lifeblood for many of our people it is the way they make a living and the and provide for their families. And, and so I would pray that, that the, the fields dry out 
as they need to, that uh, once those seeds are planted, that they're able to take root, right? That God provides an increase like we would not possibly imagine, because I don't know about you, but we're going to give him all the glory for that, right? If he pulls that off. So I would pray for that. And it's not just here in Ohio, it's all over the Midwest right now. It's all over the Midwest, and there are families that are hurting that, that need this to happen. They need the fields to get better. Are there any other prayers that we would love to lift up today? Yes. Okay. Camp starts this week. Remember, we got over 50 kids going. They're going to be traveling back and forth over the next several weeks. Please pray for them in their travels. And please pray that God be present, right? That they see, feel, and experience and commit to the Lord during their times there. Anything else? Yes. Okay. Did you say flying instructor? I thought you said flying. I was like, really? <laughs> so Bud Watkins' wife. Thank God. So a friend of her family, Bud Watkins, just passed away. Uh, his wife was her instructor, right, in, in high school. And so he's very close to the family, and we would pray for them. But we are excited that he gave himself to the Lord this week, right? Praise God for that. Yes. Okay. pray for the Hartzlers to continue to get well. They've been battling a cold. But also, I'd like to ask for prayers, especially for Stan, who was in the hospital this week, and he's on oxygen right now. Um, We hope it doesn't stay that way, right? Um, But that's a major life change for him. And so we would pray for strength and healing in that time. Anything else? Anybody else? Yes. Okay, all those affected by the tornadoes. Um, if you have any questions about Pastor Reggie and, and the, the church in Dayton, I talked to him the day after the tornadoes. He says all of his people and him are fine, that they didn't lose anything. Nobody was stuck in that path. Praise God for that. But there are, and if, you want, if you're concerned about how you can help with that, uh, you might want to talk to Matt Dolph, who's spending a lot of time touring those areas right now because he works for Vectran. So... Um, Tony too. Tony is there as well. And both of them, I think, would tell you it is a mess. Uh, There are a lot of people. It is. Like a war zone. Matt's used those words too. So yes, pray for those people who were hit by tornadoes. A ton of them very close to us. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. for a procedure he's got coming up this week. It's part of one of many as he's looking to heal himself physically. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're a hot mess and we need a lot of prayer. Yes. Franklin Graham today has asked for prayers for our president, our president and our country and um, Susan asked that we extend that to the media, the Congress, uh, to remember that we are all called to be the people of God. And, and as such, we need to probably sometimes remember to act like the people of God. Anything else? Your Uncle Mike. Yes. Okay. Don't know when yet. Uncle Mike and, his, and the next surgery is coming up soon. Anything else? Your dad's coming home Thursday. I see your mom is here. Praise God that your mom came home from the hospital. Yes, Mary Shu. Okay. Capacity. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. So we're praying for his, his hip surgery to go well, right? Um, and that God would heal his heart and his body if he can, right? Okay. Anything else? All right, let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful that you give us an opportunity to hear one another's prayers. That you give us a chance to praise you as a group and to strengthen one another as a group because we know that the, the prayer of a righteous man moves your heart. We know that there is power in prayer and when we intercede for one another, what a gift that is to being part of the church that wonderful things can happen. You've heard our prayers. You have heard our calls today. And I pray that, that we will, you know, that we will not see the church just as this, this place you come to on Sundays and tithe to, but we will see this as a body of people pursuing you together. And realize that the church is part of your desire and your design that you intend us to work together, to lean on each other in times of difficulty, to recognize that each of us has different gifts to bring and that, that not only do we need those gifts, but it is a blessing to provide those gifts for others. Lord, you are hope, you are our strength, and you are the source of our joy and our salvation. And I pray that you will carry us throughout this week and our days. You'll give us opportunities to meet with and encourage one another. You'll give us a chance and that we will be courageous enough to take the chance to be the church, to be a community of people who reach into each other's lives to glorify you. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. We are so glad you are here today. Thank you.